0: If you will take your Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 1. We are reading, beginning with verse number 11. We read 11 last week, but I want us to reread that verse again. If you'd all stand, please. I'm going to read through the end of the chapter, verse 24. 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 11. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. For our boast is this the testimony of our conscience that we have behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity not by earthly wisdom but by the grace of god and supremely so toward you for we were not we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and acknowledge and i hope that you will fully acknowledge just as you did partially acknowledge us That on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I am sure of this. I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way To Judea, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make plans according to the flesh? Ready to say yes and yes and no and no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in Him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who uh, who has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lorded over your faith, but we work for, work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. Thank you. You may be seated. Paul delayed a visit to Corinth, even though this hard letter, uh, which uh, he refers to the hard letter, and if it, it could be. 1 Corinthians, but it, I think it is a, a, a letter that we no longer have. I, I think there are four letters. He wrote to them a letter that that uh, they received, and then he wrote 1 Corinthians to them, so that would be the second letter. Then he wrote a hard letter to them, which uh, he, he describes in the second chapter of 2 Corinthians, rather than going to them personally. And then also he sent Titus. And then when Titus returned, he was grateful that they had received that letter in a in a, in a good way. So now he's writing to them this letter, which we call Second Corinthians. So it was either three or four letters. But whatever, this hard letter had been received in the spirit that Paul hoped that it would. But not everyone was cordial. He still had some people, and I believe in leadership there, that were listening to the, to, uh, the Jewish proselytors who were, uh, not, were very critical and not very cordial. Some, in an effort to gain personal advantage, continued to criticize the apostle. Thus, Paul sought to point out his own purity and uh, his actions and motives in order to silence these critics. And the explanation for the theme then uh, is what we have here in the balance of this third chapter. The focus of this message is this. For all professing Christians, we need to follow Paul's example in his sincere gospel work. The problem here is that too much Christianity in our present time is designed to promote some personal advantage either to the preacher or to the ministry promoted. And not Jesus Christ. They want to use Jesus Christ to their advantage, but it is not to the glory of Jesus Christ. It is to their advantage. I've seen way too much of that. A.W. Tozer, who I highly respect, has written until self-effacing men return to spiritual leadership, we may expect a progressive deterioration in the quality of popular Christianity year after year until we reach the point where the grieved Holy Spirit withdraws, like the Shekinah from the temple. End of quote. I think we have reached that point in modern Christianity. We, can't, we'll, we cannot have revival and will not have revival until God intervenes and breaks His servants of self. There's the problem. self. To break us of self in order for us to follow the principles that are stated in, by Paul there in Galatians chapter two verse two. Listen. I have been crucified with Christ. Paul said I. I, he means myself. Myself has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. It's not self-living. But Christ living in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, that is in my body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the principle we need to operate by. That our self is crucified. The old self is crucified. That Christ may live in us so that our life in the flesh is no longer lived to self, but it is lived to the glory of Jesus Christ and by faith in the Son of God who has loved us. And He definitely has loved us if He has given to us eternal life. Old King self must be dethroned. And only that through crucifixion so that Jesus Christ can be enthroned in his place. All self-confidence, self-seeking, self-importance, self-promotion, and whatever else there be of self must die. And it is not a one, it's not a one-time process either. It, it it's not that I just come and suddenly I am changed, and self is dead, and Jesus is king, and that's that. No, no, I struggle with it all the time. In fact, the Apostle Paul uh, previously appealed to the Corinthians there in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, when he, said, he declared, I die daily. So let's look at this. First of all, in verses 11 through 16, we see the necessity for gospel integrity this was the problem here was the problem gospel integrity Uh, and paul was being accused of of not being sincere he was uh, accused of uh, being selfish and self-interested that uh, he really didn't have the corinthian church at heart he was only interested in his own advantage That he really wasn't an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was just promoting himself to be one. And this, this was a tough thing when you had a lot of people traveling through who were claiming to have some special connection with God. And it created lots of problems for the churches. In fact, nearly every single letter in the New Testament was written to correct some problem and some doctrine, often because of false teachers who came through and were received by the churches and uh, uh, then had to be corrected. Paul's charge here to the church immediately is this. You must help us by prayer. Rather than criticizing us, pray. Paul uses the third person. And I, I want to emphasize this. Uh, he, I'm sure he had his own uh, team in, in view there of uh, Timothy and, and uh, Silas uh, and others as well. But I, I think oftentimes Paul uses the third person to avoid the use of the first person, me. Me. So when he says, you must also pray for us, or help us by prayer, I think he is uh, referring mainly to himself. Because he's uh, he was the object of their criticism. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul appealed to the saints. and uh, Philippians 1, verses 19 and 20, he wrote this, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, This will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Wow. And that... Epistle, the apostle emphasized his willingness to give up all of his, of anything that had been of a personal advantage to him in the past. All of his privilege. He said, I, I count them but rubbish in order to win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness but that which is through the faith of Jesus Christ. That's what we need these days. That's what we need. There again, in Romans, he wrote, uh, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me. The word strive there means literally to wrestle I enjoy watching the, the, the boys wrestle. They've got girls wrestling too, but I don't enjoy that as near as much, uh, especially with girls wrestling boys. But uh, I do, I do enjoy the boys wrestling. And I'll tell you what, there was one young man there uh, uh, that I watched there a week or so ago, and wow, I commended him, and he said, "This is my," he, he kind of beamed, and he said, "This is my first time." But, I mean, he gave it his all. I mean, he was into it, as they say. And that's what Paul means here. That we strive together. That we wrestle. That we give it our all. That we throw ourselves into it with our passion. that you wrestle together with me in your prayers uh, to God on my behalf. There's something that God has given to the privilege of His people to pray and then to see Him answer their prayers. You know, people have often criticized uh, this in the doctrines of grace because they say, if, Jesus, if God is all-sovereign, then we don't need to pray because God has, God's gonna, it's all gonna work out according to God's plan anyway. No, you're you're not listening, you're not you're not reading scripture. God does not make, make us puppets, but he makes us willing servants. And he uses us in our decisions and in our work and our and our effort. To glorify himself in accomplishing what he wants to do. That is a powerful truth and a very great mystery. But Paul said that the prayers here. He he asked specifically that I may be delivered from unbelievers in Judea. And that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. This was his greatest problem. As he ministered to the Gentiles. Many Jewish believers in Christ in in Jerusalem and Judea have rejected him because they thought he had thrown out the law of Moses and become an apostate, as it were. So, Paul says, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. There, that's Romans fifteen verse thirty. Paul was absolutely convinced that his success in the work of the gospel depended on the prayers of all the saints. Oh, how we need to learn that truth. Say, well, God, God's the one's going to do it. Why do I need to pray? Well, see, I think that's the point. Believers need to come together and they need to be united in their desire that the will of God would be done and that His kingdom would come. This is what Jesus emphasized there in His Sermon on the Mount. When you pray, say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. But the work is wholly dependent on the Holy Spirit. I can't do it. And I and I can't even, my prayers don't even do anything. Except it is worked through by the Holy Spirit. When instructing the saints there in Ephesus on how they must conduct themselves in their spiritual warfare. And I, I read, read that passage frequently in these days. That we are to stand firm against the wiles of the evil one. To, to be clothed in the armor of God. And then Paul says, praying at all times in the spirit. With all prayer and supplication. Well, we want to be good soldiers, alright. and We want to put on the armor of God and stand firm. But uh, we don't want to do the praying. Because that praying's work. Praying goes against the flesh. If there's anything that the flesh hates, it's praying. I don't know how many times I've had to apologize to God in my prayer times because I fell asleep. Start praying and fall asleep. Oh, how the flesh hates praying. Or you get a pain. And then the pain won't seem to go away. So then you're up trying to take care of the pain rather than pray. Praying at all times in the Spirit, we read, with all prayer and supplication to the end, to, the, to that end, keep alert, he said, keep alert. Watch and pray. That's why I have to apologize. Lord, I'm sorry, I fell asleep. You know what happens to a watchman on the wall that falls asleep? That's a capital offense. When the military puts a man on watch, he is to remain alert, and that's what Paul's telling us here. And then he he added, he said, making prayer, uh, making supplication, making supplication for all the saints. You know what supplication is? That's pleading and interceding. Please, Lord, do this for, the, for my brother, my sister, for the church, for the workers of God. It's a pleading and a supplicating for all the saints. And then he continued there in verses 19 and 20, And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel For which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Oh, how we need the prayers of each other. I need your prayers. You need my prayers. We need each other's prayers. It is the Spirit of God who knows the mind of the Lord. I want, to, I want to pray in the will of God. So who knows the mind of the Lord but the Spirit of God who is God Himself and knows the mind of the Lord as we read there in Romans 8. Uh, and I, I quote this verse often. The verse says, there's two verses. I quote this passage here often because it has been such a help to me. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Our infirmities, as the King James has it, are in our, in our weakness. And we are. And the older I get, the more weak I, it seems I am. But the Spirit helps us in our infirmities, our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I can't even even express it. But the Spirit of God conveys the appropriate message. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. That's God. God searches the hearts. And as the Spirit of God fills me and indwells me and empowers me and enables my praying, God's Spirit is... Known by God the Father. Because the Spirit intercedes for saints according to the will of God. Isn't that comforting? To me, that's a great comforting verse. I don't know what to pray for. And I don't know how to pray for it. But God has promised me His Holy Spirit to dwell in me that will enable me to pray. So, that brings us to this Paul's basis for his appeal to the prayers of the Corinthians was his personal integrity. He could honestly say to them, guys, check me out. I'm being honest. I'm being sincere. Verse 12 there begins with four. The word for gar in the in the Greek language there which is used to introduce an an explanation. Paul needed the church to pray for him and for his co-workers. He needed their sympathetic disposition to support his decisions and actions. His ministry, he assured them, was not for his personal benefit, but for the blessing of others through through his gospel work. And in this, he appealed to his own Spiritual integrity. We have behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity. That's back there in verse verses 13, uh, uh, verse 12. In verse 12, yes. I was going to, I forgot to check here. Holiness. Uh, Some some manuscripts have the word there for simplicity, holiness. With holiness and sincerity. And I like that. The English word for sincere, and I, I want to point this out to you, comes from the Latin. Sine sera. Sine sera. Sine means without. Sera is wax. Without wax. And what it means is that uh, oftentimes, uh, pottery people in those days would would uh, find a crack in a jar or in a in a plate or something like that, and then they would use wax to cover up that crack, and then go ahead and sell a defective item to somebody who, on first inspection, would not see the crack. But wax is not permanent. I mean, how many? Isn't that interesting to to be without wax? In other words, I'm genuine. I don't have any cracks. I'm the real McCoy. Paul says. I live a life of holiness before God. Myself has been crucified in Jesus Christ. For me to live as Christ. Wow. I wonder how many preachers today could honestly stand in the pulpit and say, Search me! Look at my life! It's an open book. I have nothing to hide. There are no secret files on my computer. Go and look! Search my search history. And I can tell you the same. I'm not perfect by a long shot. I'm a sinner, saved by grace. But I have lived in an endeavor that Jesus Christ should be Lord of my life in every aspect. That's what Paul saying. I'm the real McCoy. He was completely transparent. So he writes here in verses 13 and 14, we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand. What I'm telling you is exactly what it is. It's nothing less, nothing more. There are no hidden motives. There's no hidden agenda. And I hope he says you will fully understand just as you partially do But with the critics, people were scratching their heads. Can we really trust him? Can we really trust him? Now, that brings me to this, the ultimate motive that drove Paul's sincere behavior in his gospel work was the certainty of his appearance on the day of the Lord. Well, I tell you, there's nothing that will keep you in line as as, uh, the boss coming around. One of these days, the boss is going to come around. When I was in seminary there, I worked for for Fabric Masters. And it always tickled me, some of the seminary guys that were employed also, they'd be in their little huddles with their, their discussions. And uh, until the boss came around, <laughs> the manager, their brother Anderson, he'd come around. And uh, when he when he when they'd hear him come through the door, there it, it's interesting how they dispersed quickly to take on the responsibility that they were that they were set to do. That's the idea that Paul is giving us here: what, the day of the Lord. Note in, there in verse number fourteen, and he declared uh, his desire here was the glory of God in that day when Jesus Christ would come back. The day of the Lord will sort out every motive, every ministry motive, every motive that we have in our living out our lives. Paul deals with this in chapter 5 of this same book. In fact, he brings up a lot of this stuff again. And it, it, it was not for personal survival then that he that drove his decisions, but the glory of God. He wasn't trying to save himself and save his ministry and and uh, against the criticisms. But rather, Paul had no fear of dying, even dying. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So he writes there in... Uh, Chapter 5 and verse 1. If the tent of our earthly home is destroyed. That's this body. This body of flesh. He says we have a building from God that is a glorified body. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Isn't that a great blessing? I mean, one of these days, this body, vile body will be transformed into His glorious body. There will be no more suffering, no more sickness, no more sin, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death and dying. It will be not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And He longed for that mortal, uh, that His mortal might be swallowed up of life there in verse 4 of chapter 5. And that gave him courage to pursue the will of God. If I die, it's gain. I don't have anything to worry about. so he so then he writes there in verses nine and ten, whether we are at home or away, whether we're in this body or we're out of this body and present with the Lord, he says, we make it our aim to please him four and here is that gar because he's explaining now why why it's our aim to please him we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil or worthless as some translated in his first epistle, he urged those who were building on the foundation that he had laid, the foundation of Christ and the prophets. He said, uh, and this is by the grace of God that we do this work, and that he laid that foundation. And so he was urging them to use the correct materials gold, silver, precious stone, rather than wood and stubble. A lot of beautiful houses built with wood, but wood burns. What can be destroyed. And the fire, he says, will, de- will, will declare it. it. says, Each man's work will, be, uh, will become manifest for the day, that is the day of Christ, and, and the judgment that comes will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. 1 Corinthians 13 to, uh, 3, verse 13. Proper work, with proper materials, will result in reward. Not that we do anything for reward. We're not interested in reward. But, you know, isn't that great that God has promised to give reward to those who faithfully serve Him? Jesus, I mean, we're all looking forward to the day when Jesus will receive us to heaven and say, enter into the joy of your Lord. That's a reward. We don't work for reward. We work for his glory. We want him to be glorified. So in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15, we read, For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this that one has died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all in order that, see, here's the purpose clause, that those who live, might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and rose again or died and was raised thus on that day Jesus Christ of Jesus Christ he Paul says you will boast Paul uses that term boast. it's kind of in uh, in our, in our uh, modern context it kind of an, it's a negative thing. But actually, what it means is to glory in something or to relish it, to enjoy it, to be filled with love for it. I'm doing this, and I'm and I'm excited in it. Is really the kind of the idea here uh, that we're excited together. We're working together. I mean, isn't that, Don't you enjoy that when I mean when you can enjoy your work and it's not a drudgery and you're getting you're you're personally benefiting from the work you're doing that's what he's talking about here so he, he says here on that on the day of Christ he said you will you will relish i like the turn i like that word relish it, i don't know i don't see any translations with it but i like it the word relish for you will relish us as we relish you in other words i we have such pleasant thoughts of our work together we have such we have such joy inner joy of having worked together and that's what he's talking about for all the promises he said there in verse 20 of God find their yes in him yeah and that is Christ and that is why through Him we may utter our Amen to the glory, to, for His glory, in verse 20. So, however, note Paul also said there in verse 15 of, of 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 3, If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only through fire. You know, wouldn't it be an awful thing to, to go and to stand before Christ at the Judgment Day and here's a whole pile of, of your good works and you're looking at them with pride and, and uh, say, Lord, look what I've done in my life for You. Okay, turn on the torch. <laughs> the fire. And all of a sudden, nothing but ashes. It all went up in smoke. And Jesus was, but you're saved. Come on in. Whew. Saved as, though is my fire. What do, what do you have to, for all your life? Live for Christ. Handful of ashes. Handful of ashes. Mm. That brings us to God's faithfulness. Christ, or here Paul, lays out his integrity to argue for the Corinthians to understand that uh, 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 of his character with respect to his change of plan. See, this is the thing that, uh, uh, that the critics were bringing up. He said he was coming, and he didn't keep his word. He promised him to come. He said, I'm going to come to you when I go to Macedonia, and then I'm going to come back. That was his third missionary trip. And then I'm going to pass from Macedonia back through Corinth here on my way to Judea. And you can help me on my way. But it didn't happen. Why didn't it happen? That's the question. And he tells them, it was rather to spare you. It was no indecision on my part. It was no vacillation. It was no uh, uh, personal thing. Rather, I, I was thinking of you. And I was thinking of you with respect to all the problems that we've had here. That if I came back through, it wouldn't be pleasant. It would be a hard one. So, rather to spare you, he did not come as they, as, as had been planned. Had he come to them when, he, when first proposed, his flesh might have gotten in the way. Might have lost his temper. Or at, at any rate, Paul would have been too harsh on them, either in, their, either in disobeying the Lord or perhaps in having too severe a rebuking spirit, which would have been right. He's an apostle. See, this is the point. He was an apostle, and he had the right to control them in matters of discipline. But he tells them, not, not that we lord it over your faith, It's not the point. Paul wanted them to be filled with joy, rather. And he knew that uh, that this end would not be accomplished by his coming to them, but uh, it would only be accomplished by his working with them. And they with him, in order that together they would be helpers. And I like this. Helpers. That's the King James Version. Of working together mutually to the glorious end of establishing them in their faith. That's verse twenty-four, last verse. So here's the problem. Neither Paul was not vacillating, as some of his critics charged, verse 17. He was not making his plans according to the flesh, saying yes and no at the same time. Well, you know, that's indecision. Should we do this? Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe yet, maybe, you know, we could we say. Maybe maybe yes, maybe no. Can't make up our mind. said it wasn't that. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Sylvanus, Timothy, and I was not yes and no, was not uh, Timothy said yes, and Sylvanus said no, and Paul said maybe. <laughs> you know, can't can't make up her mind on the deal. But in him that is in Christ, and doing the will of God. It was always, Amen! Yes and Amen. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in Him it was always yes. For, the pro- for all the promises of God find their yes or their amen in Him. Amen. The Old Covenant was based on conditional promises. If you do this, then you will be blessed. The New Covenant, however, in Christ is no longer conditional. It's a matter of, not a matter of if and then, but rather yes and amen. Hallelujah. And why? It's based on God's faithfulness. God is faithful. And that was the foundation of all Paul's words to them. It was God who established him with them, the Corinthians, in Christ, and has anointed both. And who has also then put his seal on both, and given both his spirit in their hearts as the guarantee. Verse 21. So what can we learn from this? Three things. There's three are two things here. There's three kinds of Christians. There are dependent Christians, those who want their leaders to tell them what to do. Make, the, make my rules for me. Then there are independent Christians who want to do their own thing in their own way. Don't want anybody telling them what to do. But then... And this is the third group is what we should all be submissive Christians who depend on the spirit of truth to lead them. And understanding that God uses men to do that. To lead them in obeying Him in the truth. So which kind of believer are you? Secondly, secondly, here, Paul declared, God who established us with you and has anointed us. Notice that back there in verse, verse number 21. Paul, John declared in 1 John 2, verse 20, But you have been anointed by the Holy One. Anointed. You know what that means? That means you've had oil poured on your head, you've been anointed. Three offices received anointing in the Old Testament. The prophet, the priest, and the king. 1 John chapter 2, verses 27 and 28 says, But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't be taught. It means that when, when we're taught, we understand, because the Spirit of God leads us into all truth. He says, But the anointing teaches you about everything and it and is true and is no lie, just as it was taught you. So Paul or John is saying here, you were taught, but the Spirit enabled you to understand what you were taught was the truth, and you accepted it as the truth, so that you might abide in Him. So Jesus here was anoint was anointed to that threefold office. He was a prophet. Moses said, "The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me among your brothers, and you shall listen to whatever he tells you." And this is quoted again. This that's from from uh, uh, the book of uh, Deuteronomy chapter eighteen, but it's but it was cited in Acts chapter three verse twenty two. Then he was anointed as a priest. In, according to Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 20, Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And then he was anointed king. So we read in Revelation 19 and verse 16, On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, in saying that, this, this threefold responsibility then falls on all believers as well, because we are in Him, of our place in Christ. We're prophets. the Scripture talks about prophesying. What does that mean? A prophet is one who represents God to the people with the Word of God. We need to tell people the truth. We're prophets. This is God's truth. You don't compromise the truth. You tell them the truth. That is, that's not offensive. It it may be offensive to them, but it is the truth, and it's the truth that sets people free. Then we uh, are uh, priests. That's in prayer, where we represent the people to God, and then we're kings working as Christ's co-regents to bring in the kingdom of God. And so we read there in Revelation 1.6, God has made us a kingdom, priests to His God and Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Also in 1 Peter chapter 2, I'll, I'll leave that for you to look up. So in this responsibility, that Paul here was working to establish in the Corinthian church, the bottom line of Paul's argument is this. It's not Paul failing or succeeding, but God who is establishing them and anointing them to that responsibility. Thus, Paul charged them, you also must help us by prayer. How are you fulfilling that responsibility let's pray our father we're grateful again for the opportunity to consider the word of God and I pray your spirit would work in our hearts Lord we're Gideon's 300 and we can beat the army of the Philistines Lord we are your people Grant to us mercies, and make us yours, and use us for the glory of Christ. We pray this in your in Christ's name. Amen.